I'm almost done talking about the conference, but I was just thinking about it again during that song. Guys, I, so I was talking with Hannah before this started tonight, and she was telling me that she would never have gotten into ministry if it wasn't for that conference. And then I was thinking back on it. I probably would have gotten into ministry, but I, I don't think I ever would have moved here to be a part of starting this church because that conference just like gave me a dream for something bigger for my life. And so, man, that's what we're praying for you guys this weekend. I can't wait to get down there with you. And yeah, just excited to hang out. Um, and little word to the wise, I'm doing a breakout. It's called like uh, Learn to Live with Joy in Jesus, which is literally like this stuff that we're talking about because they scheduled it after I like decided to teach this mini series. So you might not want to come to that. It might be a little weird. I'm literally going to tell the same stories, okay? If you want to come, that's fine. But uh, just a heads up. But yeah. So we're going to continue in our, our series. We're doing a three-week series called The Happiest Person Alive. And if you weren't here last week or just as a, a little refresher, this is what we said, is that all of us universally are pursuing our own joy. And that matters deeply for the way that you live. So there's actually a, a philosopher, Blaise Pascal, that, that said this. It's, it's a famous quote. He said, every action of every man is motivated to pursue happiness. And and I think he's right, which that's a bold statement, right? That literally everything you do in your life, you're after joy. And so it's something that we better be ready to, to talk about, right? And so this is what we said last week, is that Jesus is the happiest person who's ever lived. But then with that, we were created to reflect that happiness, Right, So the reason why we all crave joy is because we were made to find it in him and then to reflect his joy to the world. Now, i got to clarify a little bit. i got to level with you a little bit. The name of the series might be a little bit misleading, okay? I I threw out happiness out there, right? Because who doesn't want happiness? Like, it's it's relatable. Joy is a little bit, like, hard to understand. What does that mean? But here's what what I need you to know, is that when I'm saying happiness, I'm saying it in the way that the Bible defines it, which is actually vastly different than how our culture would define it. So what I'm not saying is that that Christianity means that you'll constantly have this kind of happy, giddy feeling. But what I am saying is there's something even deeper than that. Something maybe related to happiness, but far deeper and far more important than we can find as Christians. So that's where I want to go today as I want to unpack what does this word joy mean, and then how do we actually get it into our lives. So we're going to go to Philippians 4. So if you've got a Bible or if you've got your app, flip open there. Here's the deal. We talk about the Bible every week at Salt Company. You should not take my word for it, okay? Like, I am not the authority on these issues. The Bible is the authority. So I'm trying to teach you what the Bible says, but I would love it if you would actually follow along yourself. And you can download that app if you don't have it. The Version Bible app is a great app to download. But Philippians 4, let me read this to you. <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, look again at that first sentence. Rejoice in the Lord always. If your head didn't just explode a little bit, you're not paying attention. That's 
That's nuts. Okay, that first word, rejoice. Okay, that is a command. God is commanding you to enjoy your life, to take joy in what? Like how often, in what circumstances? Well, rejoice in the Lord always. Literally every circumstance, at every moment, Christians should be rejoicing. Question, how do you command a feeling? I hate board games. I hate them so much, which I know you hate me for that a little bit because Christians love board games. I don't understand that. Christians just love certain things. Older Christians love Aldi. I don't get that either. We love Aldi, we love the word season, and we love board games. But, but I hate board games. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to come up to me after this service. You're going to be like, no, 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 Jordan, you just haven't played my board game yet. Like, have you tried Settlers of Catan? Yes, I'm never getting that night of my life back. No, no, no. Like, you don't understand. Like, this board game, you're really, no, I just, I don't, this is what I feel about board games. I despise them. Okay? So, how, so here's the deal. You can't command me. What's happening behind me? I'm distracted. Hello, Isaac. Everything good? All right. Yep. Just peace out. Isaac's had a rough day. Our pipes broke in our office. Like the water pipes, our office flooded. He's had a rough day. Way to, way to put this. He's not actually leaving, but that did actually happen though. Okay. So I hate board games. You can't tell me to like board games. If you sit there and say, dude, you should like board games. I'm going to be like, no, I still don't like them. Okay. If uh, pickles, how do you feel about pickles? Some of you like pickles. Some of you hate pickles. If you hate pickles, somebody can't just be like, hey, you should like pickles. You're not all of a sudden going to like pickles. How can you command an emotion? How can God command the emotion of joy? Well, here's the answer, is that joy is not an emotion. Joy is not an emotion. It involves your emotions, but it's something actually far deeper and far important than your emotion. It involves contentment. It's this like, settled disposition of a Christian. The way that Philippians 4 talked about it is verse 7, in the peace of God which transcends all understanding. It's this peace that comes on you that literally no circumstance can take that thing away from you. But here's the deal. That's not the way that we typically think about it. It doesn't just automatically happen for Christians. Okay, like some of the ways that we think about joy is like that it's just going to sort of fall on us. It's like a water balloon from heaven, right? Like, like we're going to go to this conference this weekend and then bam, God might drop some joy on you or you kind of loosely connect it to time with Jesus. And so if you spend time with him in the morning, then maybe you're going to be a joyful person. But let me go back to that text. The word rejoice is not just a command. It's also a verb. It's something that you do. You have to put on joy. You have to choose to live as a joyful person. Okay, so when I was thinking about this, I started thinking about Tony. You guys know Tony, right? Most of you know Tony. Tony, wave. Wave to the crowd, Tony. There you go. That's Tony. So if you know Tony, you also know that Tony walks around with a weird, clear gallon jug with blue fluid in it. Right? And, and it's just, and, and it's weird, and he tries to play it low-key, but it's clearly protein because he clearly works out, right? And he tries to play this off like he doesn't work out, like it's not a big deal, he changed the subject, but you're the one carrying around a clear jug that clearly has protein in it, Tony. And one day, Tony is walking into our church, this is a while ago, and you were carrying your little jug, 
and it was yellow, and it just looked like a jug of urine, and I was like, this is not a good look for our church. Anyway, so here's the deal. Tony's ripped, right? It's just true. He's just, he's just shredded, okay? If Tony just woke up one day and was like, I just want to be ripped, and then he just sort of sat there, you'd be like, Tony, you're an idiot. Because if you want to get ripped, you got to do something. you got to drink weird protein. you got to go to the gym all the time, right? Like you've got to have a game plan for how you're going to develop into something, and you've got to have the discipline to actually go do it. So, so here's the thing with some of you. Almost all of you in this room would say, I want to be a more joyful person. Even if you are joyful already, you would say, I want more of joy in my life. But almost none of you have a game plan for how you're going to do it. And even fewer of you actually have the discipline to follow that game plan. So that's what I want to talk about tonight is what's your game plan for being a joyful person? And how are you going to have the discipline? Like, what does that actually look like to put on joy in your life? So this is what we're going to have to see. We're going to have to see the things that we're going to have to put off, the things that like choke out joy in our life, and the things that we're going to have to put on to be able to be joyful people. Okay, so the first thing that we have to put off in order to be a joyful person is anxiety. So this is first verse 6 from Philippians 4. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, so there we have it again. It's another command for something that it, it feels like we don't have control over, right? It's weird for us to think about anxiety in those terms of something that you should choose to not do because we think of ourselves as a victim in this sense. So we think, of our, so we think that anxiety is a result of our circumstances, right? Like you've got a test coming up, therefore you're anxious, there's something going on with your family and you're nervous about that. And so you're, or, or you're just busy and stressed. And so you kind of live this anxiety filled life, right? Like it's, it's a response to your circumstances. But here's what the Bible would have to say is that anxiety is not a byproduct of your circumstances. Anxiety is a byproduct of unbelief. That the reason why you're anxious is because you don't actually believe that God is who he says he is. So this is the story about the world that's true, that God is in control of literally everything and literally every circumstance in your life. And if you are a Christian, he will work out every single circumstance in your life for your good. That's nuts. That means that literally anything that you walk through, no matter how hard it is, no matter how good it is, is for your good. And so if that was true, if you could actually believe that, what that would mean is you would never be anxious again, ever. Because God is always working for your good. Okay, now, i got to clarify this a little bit. Because if we misunderstand that, what the Bible says about anxiety can actually be a little bit offensive. And, and here's why. Because what if you have biological clinical anxiety? Or the same thing goes for depression. What if you struggle with biological depression? Okay, so there's a couple different forms of anxiety, and this would also go for depression as well. Okay? So one form is biological anxiety. The next form is sinful anxiety. Okay, so let me unpack that a little bit. So biological anxiety, 
Guys, this, this was crazy. I looked up some, some statistics on this. One in four college students have a diagnosable mental health illness. One in four. Not just like had a rough day, a diagnosable mental health di- uh, illness. 31% of college students have felt debilitating depression in the last year, like can't get out of bed, can't function depression. 50% have felt overwhelming anxiety. Half of you in this room know what it's like to be just consumed by anxiety. And for some of you, that's, that's like not your fault. Like there's a, there's a chemical imbalance in your brain that you can't control that has made your life really hard. And so here's why I'm talking about that. One, like if that's you, if this is the stuff that you're struggling with, I want you to know that you're not alone. It's super easy to kind of put a stigma on mental health and people can just get weird about it. And this is what I want to tell you is like one of the biggest lies of the enemy is to get you to believe that you're alone in life, that your struggle is weird, that nobody else can understand it and you have to fight it by yourself. He wants to isolate you. And this is what I'm saying is there is a community of people here who will hear you out. Now, not perfectly, but I think they'll listen. Salt Company was where I learned to talk about some of my fight with mental illness. I haven't ever been diagnosed with depression, but I've, I've seen counselors, and I definitely like have somewhat of a disposition towards depression. I used to hide the fact that I had to, to go to counselors because I was embarrassed. And then I showed up at Salt Company, and I figured out that this was a place where I could be honest about that stuff in my life. And people like didn't shun me. They just cared about me. The second reason I say this is, Like, if this isn't your struggle, it's definitely the struggle of some of your friends, probably several of them. And so this is what you need to do, is you need to be compassionate. Don't be an ignorant Christian that just kind of plays off real struggles as like, oh, let me just pray for that and then just kind of forget about it. Yes, pray for it, but there's actually a lot more. Like, if this is you, you should pursue healing, right? Like, if somebody breaks their leg... I don't just pray for them, I take them to the hospital. So if you need therapy, if you need medication, pursue that, get healthy. And we, as the community around those people, should support them in that pursuit of health. Pursue healing. Okay, but biological anxiety isn't the only form of anxiety. There's also sinful anxiety. And here's what that anxiety comes down to, is just not trusting God that you want to be the God of your own life. You want to control and manipulate your circumstances to put yourself in a place where you feel like you'll be more comfortable and where your life will be better, but that stresses you out because you're always looking at the future and you're playing that what-if game. And your thoughts kind of spin down on you and you don't ever stop them. You actually just kind of indulge them. And so here's the question is like, how do you tell the difference between that biological and that sinful anxiety? Well, I don't know that you do. In fact, it's, it's often maybe a combination of both. And so here's what you do. You pray for healing from anxiety that you can't control, and you repent of the stuff that you can. So right now is my fight in this. I am terrified of public speaking. I am in a very weird profession for that. But genuinely, like, it's, it's getting better. But when I first started in this job, I would get, like, almost physically ill every time before I talked, like just my mind would just go nuts on me. 
And so here's what happens. Every time before I walk up on the stage and every time after I walk off, there's this battle within myself. And before I'm walking up, I'm like freaked out about like what could go wrong or like I'm, I'm going over the points in my head and like, is that the right thing to say? And, and my mind just starts spinning. Then when I come down, I'm analyzing how it went and the stuff that I should have done, all this stuff, my mind's spinning. And here's what I have to do in that moment. I have to obey Jesus. And so instead of indulging anxiety, like I'm in control of my life, I need to trust the one who said that he'll take care of me. And so instead of just letting my thoughts run, I try and come back to the fact that Jesus is in control, that he'll use my life even in my imperfection, and that I can trust him. So you have to put off anxiety, and here's what you put on contentment. Here's what the world will tell you that you need to be happy. Here's what your instincts will tell you that you need to be happy, is that you need to have the right circumstances. If you can just manipulate your life to make it into the dream that you have about whatever the good life is for you, then you'll be happy. But I think you guys know that that falls short every time. There's always more that you can have. It's never enough. But what Christianity says is that you can be content in any circumstance. Because in every circumstance, you still have Jesus. And He's better than anything that you could hope for. And if you have Him, then you can be okay. You can be content. And practically, here's some of the ways that you can do that. Is like, just stop taking yourself so seriously. Like, you gotta learn to make fun of yourself a little bit. Okay, so here's what I do when I'm like freaked out about my life and freaked out about public speaking. I just sit there and go, Jordan... This is not that big of a deal. Like, no one's going to remember this in two weeks anyway. What did I say two weeks ago? You don't remember. I don't even remember. It's fine. Like, it's not, it's not that big of a deal, right? And so here, here, just, I love you guys. And I get that you're busy. Like, you absolutely are busy. Like, people will try and say college students aren't. You guys are working crazy jobs. You're working crazy hours. You're doing all kinds of stuff. But you're kind of dramatic about it, okay? Like, you, it's just true. Like, and, and you are like focusing on this narrow little piece of your life and you're like losing your mind. Like it's the end of the world. If you get a worse grade on that test, what are you going to care in 2,000 years in eternity? It does not matter. Okay, like, so here's the deal. Just like chill out. Okay, I know that's like just a bunch of wisdom I'm dumping on you here, but just relax. Like it is fine. Have some perspective. Take a breath. Go to sleep. You're fine. Okay. Put on contentment. Second joy killer. Busyness. Busyness. In the 1980s, there were some pretty reliable economists that were predicting by this time, by 2019, I actually think it was a little bit earlier than this, that were predicting by roughly this time that Americans would be working a maximum of 20 hours a week. The biggest social problem that they anticipated was that we would have so much leisure that we would have no idea what to do with it. Is that your guys' problem? There's like one dude that plays 50 hours of video games a week that's like, yeah, but everybody else, everybody else is like, no, like I'm constantly going, right? So here's the amount of hours that Americans actually work is 47 hours a week. Okay, why? Maybe it's because we're a little greedy, right? Like, so, so here's something that Americans have done is that we've exchanged our time for more money when we should have exchanged our money for more time. Don't be too impressed by that. I didn't come up with that. I stole it from this guy named John Mark Comer. I stole most of this from John Mark Comer. Got to give him credit. Okay. It's a little bit because we're greedy, 
But I think there's actually something more foundational that's going on. It's because we're addicted to activity. We're addicted to productivity. And we have absolutely no idea how to stop because our identity rests in it. So have you ever noticed that about 50% of the time that you ask someone, hey, how you doing? What do they say? Oh, I'm just so busy. There's just, there's just all this stuff going on. So here's the deal. We don't like that, but we're kind of proud of it. You sort of want people to know that you're busy because it makes you seem important. Because we think that productivity is the measure of a good human being. And so we just go, go, go. We work, work, work. And we have absolutely no idea how to stop. Some of you figured that out over Christmas break where you had all this time on your hands and you just panicked. You didn't know what to do with it. Because we have no idea how to just be at rest as human beings. So this is what I'm saying is the vast majority of you with busyness in your life are in disobedience to God. Like like you are, let me just be clear, you are in God-defying, soul-killing, glorified disobedience. It's sinful when you do it. It's sinful when I do it. And this is one of the only major sin issues that I know of, which maybe you could throw greed in there, where Christians and the church not only are like totally fine with it, but kind of celebrate it. We sort of celebrate busyness as if that makes you holy, but actually it rips your heart out for God. It kills your joy because you're not a machine. You're a human being. You weren't made to live like that. Okay, so you have to put off busyness, and that involves just saying the word no. Like, you want to hang out on Friday night? No. It's great, guys. Try it sometime. You want to come over and study? No. (laughs) Just say no. It's fine. Like, people get over it. The world keeps spinning. Just say no. Okay, so what do we need to put on? We need to take off busyness and stress. We need to put on rest. Okay, Genesis 2. I think I've got this one on the screen, if I remember right. Genesis 2. So God gets done creating the heavens and the earth. And this is what he says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished its work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all of the work that he had done in creation. Okay, so God makes the universe in six days or like I think the word days is actually not literal. It's like probably periods of time. Just chill out on that if you're really hardline on that issue. God makes the world in six periods of time. And then on the seventh period of time, he rests. Question, why? Was God tired? Was he like, oh man, that was a lot of work. I need to take a break. No, he's God. Like he's fine. This was not hard for him. So why did God rest? God didn't rest because he was tired. God rested because it was holy. Rest is holy. The word holy means just set apart. It means special. It means like celebrated, enjoyed, focused on. And we were created to reflect him in that. We were created to have the rhythms that he had to work but also to rest and to use both to honor him, to set both aside as holy, which means a few things about rest. 
First one, rest is not optional. Rest is not optional. You don't get to decide to rest when you happen to have time for it. Okay, you have limits as a human being. Okay, you don't have an S on your chest and like a cape underneath your clothes. It's Superman. Some of you didn't get that. I thought you were going to understand that. You're not, like, you're a human being. Embrace your limits. You can't do everything because you are not God. So rest when it's time to rest. Here's the second thing that that means, along with rest not being optional, is that rest is an act of faith. For me, the majority of the time when I rest, I don't want to because I've got a million things to get done. But I rest because I trust that God is in control of the universe, not me, and that the universe will keep spinning even when I'm not there. So here's the deal. You need to rest not when your to-do list is done, but when it's time to rest. If you rest when you get everything done, you'll never rest. So you just decide it's time to rest now. You put the to-do list away, and you enjoy your life, and you take a break. Second, rest is not accidental. You don't just get around to resting if it happens to happen. Like you, you have to make a decision to do it. You gotta schedule it and then you gotta be intentional with it. Third, rest is not an escape. Okay, rest is not checking out. It's not just a full day of Netflix, which I'm not, like honestly, I'm not hating on. Like that's fine from time to time. But that's not really rest. That's checking out, that's escaping. Rest is not checking out, it's checking in. Rest, here, here's what rest is. Rest is enjoying God through creation as much as you possibly can. Like, so some of you need to stop trying so hard to just not do bad stuff. And you just need to figure out, like, what you love. What are you passionate about? What makes you come alive? And then go do that. And then just enjoy God's presence as you do it and thank him for it afterwards. It's not like there's God stuff over here. I talk about this all the time. It's not like there's God stuff over here and other stuff over here. It's all his. And so you can use it to enjoy him and to rest with him. So recently, I, I got on this like Sabbath kick about the, the biblical concept of Sabbath and rest. And I'm, I'm deep. I'm reading like some Jewish rabbi on Sabbath. I'm like five books in. You don't have to go that far. But but we started, Jesse and I started having a weekly day of rest. Now, there's debate in the Bible about whether this is commanded or not. I don't care about that right now. It's whatever. It's not debated in the Bible whether you need to regularly rest. So whether that's every week or not, whatever. But you do need to actually start scheduling rest time in your life. So we've started doing this recently. And here's what this looks like is we get a little like, like ceremonious about it and weird. So we like light candles when it's time to like start the Sabbath. And we have this like song that we play. It's like a Bach, like cello song. So we're like fancy and we play this song and we just chill out. And then the last time we did this, I was super tired. So I just took a nap for like as long as I wanted to. And then I woke up and then we ate a bunch of fatty, salty food and it was amazing. And we didn't think about the diet. We just enjoyed the heck out of it. And then we slept and I just slept until whenever I woke up. And then we woke up, we read our Bibles, we prayed together, we hung out, we ate more food, and then we went to a coffee shop, didn't pay attention to the time at all, just talked, like we read our books and we invited some friends to come over. They came and hung out with us at the coffee shop for like three hours. Then we went home, slept again, read again, and just loved our lives. It's amazing. You guys should do it. Like rest sometime, okay? It's kind of hard at first, but if you choose to commit to it in your life, 
it's actually going to help you a ton. I'm convinced of that. Okay. Question for you. Why does all of this matter? I've just gone on like this weird rant about these like discipline things that are kind of foreign to most of you. Okay, why does this matter? So I want to read you another verse about the Sabbath from Deuteronomy. Um, but I want, to, I want you to see some logic in there that explains why this is so important. Okay, so Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy and the Lord, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do... You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, the animals are getting in on it, the sojourner who's with your, within your gates, your male servant, your female servants may rest as well as you do. And then verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Okay, so did you catch verse 15? Let me read it again. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty uh, hand and an outstretched arm. The point of the Sabbath for these people was to remember that they used to be slaves, and now they're not. So here's, here's the story real quick is the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And they never got to rest. They didn't enjoy their lives because they were under the brutal hand of the most powerful country in the world. And they had to make bricks every day of their lives and their quotas kept expanding and they just had to make more and more and more. It was this endless cycle of busyness and pain and a lack of joy. And this is what God did, is he showed up and he rescued them. And he brought them out of that slavery and he set them free. And he said, hey, not only are you free, but you get to be in my presence now. You get to be my people. And I'm going to give you a new name. And here's the name that you're beloved. You don't have to work for your identity anymore, that I love you just because you are. And you get to experience life to the fullest. You get to be a full human being. And do you know that that's your story too? Here's what the Bible says about your life is that if you don't know Jesus or before you came to know Jesus, that you were a slave. You were a slave to your own desires, that you were pursuing stuff in this life and you were like an addict going back for more and more and more, but it never quite satisfied. It just kept bringing you back and you had the illusion of control in your life, but actually sin was dominating your life and you couldn't do anything to get out from underneath it and you had no access to the freedom of the presence of God. You had no access to be everything that God made you to be. You were a slave. But because Jesus Christ came to get you, and he paid the sacrifice for your sins, now you can be free. And not only free, but you can be welcomed into the presence of God. On December 6th, 1865, the 13th Amendment was signed. Here's what the 13th Amendment did, is it set all of the slaves free. It was one of the most beautiful days in American history. And, and there was a ton of, ton of beauty in it, as most of the slaves got to run away from their slave masters who had haunted them for years and get a taste of freedom, some of them for the first time in their life. But it was also a sad day, 
because some of the slaves didn't leave. Some of those slaves who had heard the news about the fact that they had been set free refused to leave and instead stayed under the mastery of their former owner. Why? Because they had no idea how to live like they were free. And so they stayed. So even though they were free, they acted and lived like they were still in slavery. And so this is what I'm saying to you. Is that if you know Jesus, you're free. And if you want to know Jesus, you can be free. But there's some of you that are living like you're still slaves. You live this life of like perpetually working and going in a perpetual anxiety and joylessness. And I'm telling you, there's more life out there for you. And yeah, it's hard. It's been really hard in my own life. It's not natural for me to be a joy-filled person. It's hard for me. But over the years of trying to learn how to trust Jesus, I've learned more and more what it looks like to just soak up the fact that I'm his kid and that changes everything about my life and that I have joy now that I didn't have access to before and I don't have to believe this narrative, this negative narrative, this negative self-talk that I have about myself. I can turn my back on that and I can turn to Jesus and I can believe the story that he's telling me about me, that I'm his, that I'm his kid, that he loves me and that it means that I'm free and that I have access to joy in literally every facet of my life. And I want to invite you in on that. It's real. Don't stop believing that you can get there. Some of you, you're beat down. You're discouraged. You're frustrated. You're giving up hope. And I promise you that Jesus will hold you. Just stay. Just keep coming. He wants to know you. And here's the end of that promise. is not just a better life in this world, but heaven. Hope for literally everything that you've ever dreamed of. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Let me pray. Jesus, teach us how to live like we're free. I'm sorry for when I go back to acting like I'm a slave. But thanks that you don't leave me, that you keep inviting me out into freedom in your presence. Thanks for giving me and giving us access to joy. And help us to be people who make decisions tonight to change our lives, to, to get more of you, Jesus, to learn to be more like you, to enjoy you more, to love you more. And so... God, would, would tonight, would this weekend not be a time where we sort of just walk away unchanged, but would you, by your Spirit, help us to actually change things in our lives um, to live like we're free? And so would you just help whoever in the audience needs to know um, that there's hope in you, whoever needs to give up on some of their anxiety and depression, help them to know that there's hope in you. Uh, for those in the audience that just need to rest and need to be disciplined to, to rest, because they're not God, help them to believe that that's a good thing and to make decisions to change their lives to do it. Just, just help us to do whatever we have to do to know you more. And thanks for the chance to, to be with you tonight. We love you. Amen.